Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Would you join me in prayer for a moment? Lord, we bless you for this morning. We bless you for the hour of the day, whenever ones are listening to this. We thank you for the opportunity for your word to go forth throughout our streaming family all over the country and all around the world. Lord, we're asking you today, please, to speak to our hearts what you know we need to hear. We ask you, Lord, to call us higher, call us higher, call us higher by your Spirit's word to our hearts. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this season of time in our lives when you are teaching and instructing and blessing us with so much. We bow before you, Lord, and we ask you to teach us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Did you know that your words are power? Your words are power. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it, those who love its benefit, will eat its fruit. No matter how many years may have passed, can you still feel the effect of that coach who said, you'll never be any good? Or that teacher who said, in effect, you're just not smart enough? Or that family member who conveyed to you by the words out of his or her mouth, you're not worth anything. The power of life and death are in the tongue. But can you also remember when that phone call came, when you didn't know if you had a friend in the world, and that voice from the other end of the line said, I just felt like I needed to call you today and tell you how much you mean to me. How I remember what you did in my life back then, and I'm calling you today to just tell you, you matter to me. Isn't it amazing how just the memory of those words can take us back to a point in time that resulted either in life and hope and a sense of future and I'll try again and I'm not going to give up, or also back to a place where it's like a dream died or something that you had hoped for was never going to make. Folks, the power of life and death is in the tongue. I speak as a husband, all right? 
out to the wives who are out there, and I want to give you a testimony that you need to not ever underestimate the power of your tongue to speak life into a discouraged husband, into one who has met with all manner of opposition in places and settings and faces that you may never see. But when you look that husband in the eye and you say in so many words, you've got what it takes and I believe in you and I forgive you and I love you. Wives, you have a way to get inside that masculine armor and speak something to him that nobody else can speak. Ladies, don't underestimate the power of your words. There's kind of a subtitle to that as I thought of it this week. What you say affects what you get. What you say to that husband, to that wife, to that child, to that co-worker, to that employee, what you say affects what you get. The power, the power of a word for husbands to speak blessing, to speak beauty, to speak satisfaction, to speak joy, to speak fulfillment into the listening ears of your wife. Or children, children, grandchildren, who, who are the ones, if you had to pick who you'd like to be around, sometimes we don't get to pick, but if we had a choice, you see, there, there are personality attractants and they're manifested so often in words that come out of hope and confidence and mercy, forgiveness. To be around someone who even though you know you're not as great as they may think you are, but you love to be around them because they help to take you to a place higher than you naturally would live. Or they, or they, speak, they speak a word of patience or they speak a word of mercy that that's not who you really are. That's not where you're going to stay all of your life. It seems as if we gravitate toward folks who can speak confidence to us. And who will speak mercy to us. The law of the harvest operates in that kind of sowing as well. If we look around and we find we have very little, if any, of those things coming back in and the harvest toward us, then instead of spending all our time fussing at the folks who aren't given what we think we need, it needs to be that we realize that God is not, God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, though I have a witness, got real quiet here, but whatever we sow, whatever we sow, that's what we're going to reap. Amen. The power of a word. Let me just point out to you a spot or two in the scripture where the power of words 
are identified with the Lord, how, how, he, how he sees the importance of the words that we speak. We're warned in James against speaking against a brother or against a sister because that, we, we don't, they are not our servants, they are servants of his, and, and we, are, we violate that perfect law spoken of in James 2, where we're to love our neighbor as we would love ourselves. And, and so we're, we're to be careful within the Christian community, among the brothers and sisters of the faith. We're, we're to be careful what we say about each other and to each other. Once a word is spoken or written by you, it comes to life. That word is not alive. That word is a neutered influence until you or I speak it or write it as an expression of our emotion. And once it's spoken, once it's written, it can have a life of its own. And it continue to live and can continue to influence long after the word is ever spoken. So that's why the Lord will say through James, don't speak against your brother. Don't speak against your sister. You be careful about the expression using words coming out of you. So that, that's one, there's a warning, be careful, be careful. Watch your words, be careful. But I want to show you this one in Romans chapter 10, the book of Romans chapter 10. Now notice, notice how these instructions are given and how the truth is, is expressed. Paul writes in Romans 10 verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. In verse 13, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can I read that one Part, part again, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Well, what is with the mouth we are to confess? That Jesus is Lord. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. So how important is the word or are the words confessing, you confessing it, saying it with your mouth out loud with these words, how important is it to make the statement, Jesus Christ is my Lord? It's the difference between being saved and not being saved. It, it, it's not about that I'm a Baptist or I'm a Pentecostal or I'm a Catholic or I'm an American. That, that, that doesn't ring the bells of heaven. That doesn't open the gates of glory. But what gets you in according to this word? is that you at some point in time in your life have opened your mouth and you have spoken out loud these words, Jesus Christ is my Lord. When did you do that? And have you ever done that? 
See, we talk about, we used to use this term a good bit in the old days. I got saved. I got saved. I was saved in October. I was, I was saved in 2010. I was saved. What does that mean? That means there was a point in time when I opened my mouth and my tongue expressed these words, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. You don't get out of Bear County into glory unless, according to the Scripture, you have spoken those words, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. Words, words are important to the Lord. I want to just apply that a moment. You may have attended many churches. You may have listened to lots of preachers. You may have read lots of books. You may have even gone to the trouble of being baptized in all kinds of different settings, but still, you know something hasn't happened yet in your heart. What if the something that hasn't happened yet in your heart is because you have never, with your mouth, out loud, made the declaration, I Choose you, Jesus, as my Lord. Folks, something happens. And it's not just making the statement as if we're saying Abraham Lincoln was the president. Or the Pacific Ocean is deep. It's something that comes from the conviction of your heart that you're knowing in your knower it's true that you are believing, you have been convinced in your heart that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he's the one who died on the cross for your sins, but he is alive and he has all authority and you receive him. If somebody's listening today and you haven't ever done that, you don't have to wait till this service is over or, or have somebody else in the room. You, you can just say it out loud right where you are. I've never done this, Lord, but I, I, I want to do it. This is, this is how salvation is made real to me. I confess, Jesus, that you are my Lord, that I bow before you. Lord means sovereign, ruler, in charge of all. I confess that you are Lord. And I receive you as my Lord. All right? The power of words. The power of words. You make that declaration, and it's an expression of the conviction in your heart. And something will settle in on your spirit that God's got you, that you, he's rescued you, he's saved you. You are his. You are his. You are his. Amen. Okay, but... It's not just in the matter of salvation. It's not just a matter of getting to Bear County, getting to Texas, to glory. There's another place. There's another place where words, words that we use, words that we express are so vital. I want you to find Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6.
This is a section of scripture that many of us could, could quote by memory. But I'm telling you, folks, there was a further dimension of impact, and I want to say even authority, that I believe the Lord wants to bring to us as his people in these days in which we live. Jesus was asked by his disciples, teach us how to pray. What they were saying was, give us the words, give us the words, teach us the words that will be heard in heaven. They watched him, they knew that so much of the power that flowed out of his life came as a result of his contact with his father who was in heaven and the life of the spirit within him. How are you doing that? What are you praying? Teach us how to pray, folks, folks. Teach us the words. Teach us the words to pray. Teach us the words. That's what they were saying. Give us the words. I know I'm emphasizing that, but it's because we've read this passage many times. Some of you go sound asleep just me mentioning this verse and starting it on the first couple of words. Don't go to sleep. There's something that the Lord, I believe, is wanting to awaken in us that we may have never seen before. Watch these words. He says in verse 9, you pray, here's how you pray. Here are the words from your heart to use. Pray in this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father who is in heaven, not on this earth. I'm not talking to somebody who lives in some house, sits on some, some throne on planet earth. The father I'm talking to is the one who's the ruler of the whole universe. The author of life, the completer of everything. Our father who's in heaven, holy is your name. Set apart is your name. Different is your name. Unearthly is your name. Holy is your name. And that's a shorthand version of trying to express adoration of and praise for The one who the word name cannot completely express, but it's everything represented in his nature. It's an opportunity to get lost in the greatness of God as you come to approach him. As we begin to speak these words that he gives us to pray, to ask, to honor him with, he invites us to just get lost in the greatness and the goodness and the majesty and the mercy and the love that he is. Holy is your name. But then he says next, you say this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Those are the words translated into English that Jesus instructed his men to use as they would pray as they would express from their heart these words back to the Father. But here's what's lost in that English translation. 
the way we do English is we put the subject and then we put the verb and then we'll have objects or modifiers after that. In the language that Jesus spoke, a way of emphasizing, a way of hammering home what he was wanting to be gotten by the listeners was that instead of the subject being in front of the verb, the verb would be in front of the subject. So it literally would read, come, come thy kingdom. Come thy kingdom. It's in the imperative mood. That's the command mode or mood in the grammar. Jesus is saying, here's how you pray. You use these words, but you step into this emphasis. You command. You command my kingdom to come. You command my will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. You command that deliverance from the evil one be effected in your life. I know, I know, I know some of you are thinking that the, pre- the pastor is about to fall off in some fanatical fit. Folks, if you let the words of Jesus in the way that Jesus emphasized them, into your heart. It will blow our passive, minimizing, just enduring life away. He says, in effect, and and they would watch it in him. That they would watch him take a a blinded child or a demon-possessed child And they would watch him impose the authority of heaven to set that child free. To raise up that paralytic. To even bring forth the dead. They watched him impose the authority of heaven upon this earth. And Jesus says, you command my kingdom to come. You command that my will will be done. I'm not getting this from some other preacher. I'm not finding this from some other books of reading. Look at your text. Look at your text. Look at what Jesus said. Here's how you pray. It's not your kingdom come, our kingdom come. His kingdom. As we've said many times, what does he mean when he says that? You can't have a kingdom without a king. To pray, Lord, come your kingdom. It means that we are saying, Jesus, manifest your presence in that life. We'd say the kingdom of God is not going to be found in a building or a mountain or a street or a geographic location. The kingdom of God, if it is to be found in this day and time, 
is to be found within you. Within you. Lord Jesus, bring your presence to the throne of that life right there. Come thy kingdom. Come thy kingdom. And as Jesus' presence is made known in that heart, then that which pleases Jesus will begin to operate out through that life. Some of you, all of us in one way or another, have known what it is to live away from the Lord, live in a rebellious place, live away from God. But then what we've also known is the power of His love, the strength of His Spirit to win our hearts, to open our blinded eyes, to do a work to set our captive souls free. That's what He's saying. What I have done in you, I give you the authority to call forth in the lives of other people you love and you know and you care about. What he's saying, folks, what he's saying, folks, you enforce my authority. Come, come thy kingdom, be done thy will on this earth. Not my will, his will. It's the place of realizing our surrender to the all authority of Jesus. That we have no power on our own. We have no ability on our own. Satan doesn't care anything about who we would be on our own. But there is one name. There is one level of authority that he cannot compete with. And it is the name, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you pray, when you pray, you speak with command. Come, kingdom of God. Come, kingdom of God. Into that life, into that heart, into that family, into that situation. Come, kingdom of God. The presence of Jesus. The felt, known, life-changing presence of Jesus. I'm so glad he didn't put a denomination by that. Come, Baptist. You know, come, Catholic. Come Pentecostal, come Episcopalian, come Methodist. No! Come kingdom and king of Jesus to that heart. Now, folks, let me ask you something. And this kind of is a question that needs to overshadow the rest of our time. Where are there places where there has been no change? Where there have been things, people, places where it has been stuck. I want to submit to you, what if it is that in our attempt to represent the right thing before people and before the Lord, we have missed it in the place of praying with the kind of authority that Jesus had said, this is how you pray, not just parroting the words, come be done thy will, kingdom, daily bread, going through the motion, no! I'm telling you, folks, when these words grip your soul and grip your spirit and they are connected with the need in a life over here or a change in a situation over there, you will find a measure of strength and energy inside you like you've never known before. Where's it coming from? It's coming from 
the sense of his authority. Giving you permission to express his authority in the places where it's needed. If you always think of God as mad at the human race, if you see him as just one big ticked off deity, then you'd be afraid to pray this way. You'd be hesitant about it. Because you would think that if I'm praying that the Lord's authority would be enforced, it would be about destruction. It would be about hurt. It would be about meanness. It would be about deprivation. When the opposite is the truth. He's infinitely good. He's infinitely merciful. His power desires to be conveyed in the direction that will set captives free. So when I realize that my role in his behalf, in his authority, is to enforce his authority as I would be burdened for people, as I would see situations, I realize that what he's conveying to me is the authority to enforce that which would bless, that which would set free, that which would change and restore and heal and build a future and a hope. Can somebody say amen? But you see, if, if we think that God's mad all the time, that, that, he's, that he's just so upset, then we have a hard time with this thing of Jesus saying, you've seen what I've done, men. You, you, you've watched me. You've been with me. I've fed people. I've raised people up who couldn't walk. I've emptied tombs. Here's how I pray. Here's where I meet the Father. Father, through my life this day, bring your kingdom. Through my life and influence this day, I call forth your will in that life and that situation that has only known Satan's will and Satan's defeat and Satan's bondage. So where, folks, could we have fallen short? Could we have backed off? Could we have just given up? Well, this is my lot in life just to endure. And we read this passage and we think, well, that, you know, I'm praying that, I'm praying that. But we're really not. We're not understanding. It's not hitting us. That you know that person. You're employed at that job. You have this in the background of your family. Those things that matter to you, you have experienced on this earth in order for you to stand there, look up to heaven, and say, in your name, Jesus, I command your authority in this place. It's not like a drive through a Cane's chicken or drive through a Whataburger and you, you order it here and you get the meal there, you know, 15 steps. This may be something you do for decades. It may be something that you do through thick and through thin, or it may be something that even for many of you will come surprisingly quick. But you're found in the place of believing that he will do what he said he will do and obeying what you know in your spirit he has called you to do. And the family may be a mess. 
and the community may be a mess, but down inside your heart, there is not one flicker of agreement that the enemy is going to win this, that it's going to turn out the way he wants it to. I'm standing here, bowing my knee, bowing my heart, out in my pickup truck with the windows rolled up, and saying out loud, looking at the building, looking at the house, come thy kingdom. Be done your will on this earth as it is in heaven. If that ever drops 18 inches in your head, from your head to your heart, dramatic, powerful, freeing, supernatural things will begin to flow through you. These are the words of Jesus. This is what he said. This is how you pray. Come your kingdom. Bring your presence. Bring your presence. I'm not asking just for a moral improvement. What I'm asking for, Lord, is for you to move in with your presence in that life. Move in. How many of you have been able to say, that's the only thing that changed me? is when there was a sense that the Lord, somebody bigger than me, power greater than me, moved into my chest and began to set me free. What he did for you, he wants to do that again and again and again. If he's done it for you, then you know how to pray and you know what to believe him for. And thy will be done. Be done your will. Okay. Now, folks, those are true words. But I want to show you, I want you to go over a couple more books. Go to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. And I want to give you some added oomph. Now that, and I know that's not a biblical word, but maybe we can understand it somehow. Some added energy, some added conviction, some added oomph to why what Jesus said in Matthew 6 will be true. And why it can be true of you and me operating in the place of enforcing his authority. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. There's some things, folks, you're never going to see with the eyes of your mind. Do you hear me? If you were a lockdown, button-down brain person that it's always got to make sense, then just get ready. There's some things that God may want to show you that you will never see because it's got to make sense. It's got to make sense. It's got to make sense. What, what if there was another whole dimension of what is reality that is beyond our ability as humans to completely process, uh, facilitate, act on? That's what Paul is saying. I'm praying that the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your heart, it includes the mind, but it's beyond the mind. It's not intellectual suicide to sell out to Jesus. It's just meaning that there's more to Jesus than my mind can hold. There's more that he wants to do than I could fathom. That's what he's talking about here. I pray that the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your heart will be flooded with light so that you may know. I want you to, I want you to just, just sit down right on top of this part of this verse so that you may know 
what is the hope of his calling. Flooded with light, eyes of your flooded with light, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. So that you may know what is the hope of it. I'm telling you, a bunch of us read that. Well, that's heaven. I got that one down. I'm hoping for heaven, and I believe I'm going to be there. What if heaven is only a fraction of what he means here? And, and, I, and I put that in the context of what's about to come, what he's about to say. You may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of his inheritance, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And then he says in verse 19, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? What is the surpassing greatness of his power? Why would we need that in heaven? Why would we need a practical working knowledge of the surpassing greatness of his power in heaven where there is no devil, there is no sickness, there is no untruth, there is no meanness? It seems to be very clear. Paul is saying here, I'm praying God will open your eyes so that you will see what is the hope of his calling that is going to require that you understand the dimension of his power directed toward you while you're walking this earth and you're in the middle of this life before you ever leave and go to glory. That your eyes, the eyes of your heart will be flooded with light so that you will know that he's calling you. He's calling you. He's calling you to a place. He's calling you to something. And in that place, and in that place of his calling, it will be the expression of his, the surpassing greatness of his power towards you. Stay with me, please. Verse 20, which he brought about, this surpassing greatness and strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, verse 20, when he raised him from the dead... And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, far above every tongue that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Look at this one. And he put all things in authority under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He's the head of all things, given the name above every other name. He's been put, he has put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Now in chapter 2, he begins to describe the church what the church was, and what the church is now. And he lists these descriptive terms of what all of us before we came to know Jesus were living in. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. We're following the devil. 
We may not have said we're Satan worshipers, but we were following the course of this world directed by Satan. All right? And he says, we all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. Look at verse 4. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When did God start loving you? When you quit cussing? When you wrote a check to the church? When you cleaned your act up and started doing better? No. Paul makes it very clear. The love of God was at work even when we were a million miles away from him. Even when our hearts were cold toward him. Even when as we were dead to things spiritually. But the great love of God for you stayed at work. And as time went on, he won our hearts and showed us his mercy in Christ. And then it says, those of us who were spiritually dead... Those of us who had disqualified ourselves of ourselves of anything being used of the Lord in a favorable sense because of the choices that we had made. He loved us, forgave us, and he raised us up. Stay with me. He raised us up together with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. Jesus was raised, given the name that is above every other name, seated at the right hand of the Father. Here Paul goes on to say, you who once were dead, you who once were a million miles away, the grace of God saved you, and the plan of God was that you'd be raised up and seated in the heavenly places, sharing the place of authority with Jesus. Sharing the place. There's no, no way around it. Raised up and seated in the heaven. It's not our authority. It's not that I become some big shot and the devil's scared of me. No. Jesus is all. Jesus is everything. We come in a voluntary submission and glad surrender to his authority. And from that place, he invites us to stand with him in his place of authority. Now, if you see that, then you're going to see why Jesus was able to say what he said in Matthew 6 about this is how you pray. I've conveyed to you the position of authority with me through my grace, through my choosing of you and setting you free. You're under my authority, but you're still on this earth. And as you are on this earth, here's how you pray. Here are the words that you speak. Come, kingdom of God. Be done, will of God. Be gone, destructive plans of Satan. Come, provision of God. It's because of the place of authority in Jesus that you now have. The calling, my brother, my sister, the calling upon you 
is to enforce the authority of Jesus in the place where you are. Do you not need, will you not need his power for that to happen? Yes. So Paul is praying. I'm praying you'll understand the hope of your calling. And I'm praying that it will grip you, it'll overflow you, it'll set you free. The surpassing greatness of his power toward us who are believing. Because as we are in that place, Where there's a need for breakthrough, there's a need for provision, there's a need for all manner of things. Come, kingdom of God, power of God, come. Will of God be done, power of God, come. He's calling us higher. He's calling you higher as a husband, as a wife, as a granddad, as a grandmother, as an employee, as a businessman, whatever it would be. He's calling us higher. You're in that place. Not for the purpose of you becoming some big shot on steroids. But that you understand he has all authority. And I bow beneath my Savior's full authority. And I go forth to stand as his son, as his daughter in his authority. And on the basis of that authority, I enforce, I enforce, I enforce what he wants. Folks, here's the question. How much has not yet happened because we have not enforced his authority. What is he waiting for? What what could he be waiting for to see in you, in me, in the places that he's put us that we will take literally and seriously the exact words of Jesus and we will pray his words. Lord, Come, your kingdom. Lord, bring your will. And we refuse to spend one New York minute debating with the enemy as to whether or not it's possible, probable. What is it that is the heart of God? That's his will. That's his kingdom. When he does it, how he does it, we can't always figure that. He doesn't always let us know about that. But what he says in Ephesians 6 is you stand and you keep standing. And your fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against invisible forces of darkness. You put on the full armor of God. Where are we going to get the full armor of God? As we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Clothed with authority. Clothed with his glory. And we stand on this earth opposing darkness, opposing the lying, stealing, killing schemes of Satan. You say, well, I'm, I'm just a little guy. Well, you, now that you brought it up, this is 1 Samuel 17. He looks... For someone who will enforce his authority. 
Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, You come to me, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. He could be saying, I come to you in the authority of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have taunted. This day, words again, words again, words enforcing authority of heaven. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the beasts, I will give the dead bodies of the army, the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hand. Folks. He's just looking for somebody who will dare to believe him that his words are true and that he he will back up with his force the one who is determined to enforce his authority. You be that person. You be that person. May I be that person. Enforce my authority. Now you understand, that's not about us being loose cannons and shooting off in every direction. I want this car and I want that house and I want this. It has nothing to do with that. It is at the place of bowing beneath his authority. Surrendering everything to his authority, to the one who has said, I will cause all things to work together for good to those who love me and are called according to my purpose. We surrender to his authority, and then we stand as his child in his authority and enforce his authority. You can imagine a wealthy patriarch with a son or sons and daughters. And in the name of that wealthy patriarch, he sends forth his son or his daughter to do his bidding. The authority is not in the child. The authority is in the father. But you mess with the boy, you mess with the girl, and you're messing with the authority of the father. When we understand that, 
We'll quit being timid. We'll quit asking small prayers. We'll realize that he has put me on this earth in this place to enforce his authority for good, for freedom, for power released, for blessing, for life, for hope, and a future. It is my strong belief that when the church in the United States of America, the true church, the true church in the United States of America begins to enforce heaven's authority on this nation, there will come to be an amazing return to Jesus in the United States of America. It is a matter of regular prayer in my heart, Lord. Whatever this means, I don't know how you'll do it, and it's not up to me, but I enforce your authority on the United States of America. I enforce your goodness. I enforce your freedom. I enforce your truth. I enforce your justice. I enforce your freedom. I enforce your righteousness. And in time, we're going to see it. A great revival, a great outpouring, turning millions, warming millions of hearts back to Jesus. Take it away from, move it back from the bigger scale down to your place, down to where you live, down to your kids, down to your spouse, down to your family, your circle of friends, your acquaintances. What if he has put you in that place? Not to pray little polite prayers, not to, oh, Jesus, help us. But to literally begin to pray, Lord, because you have given me instruction, I enforce your authority of freedom. I enforce your authority of release. I enforce your authority of rescue upon these. I enforce your authority of provision. You, you feed the birds of the air, not a sparrow that falls that you don't know about. You know what our needs are. Give us this day our daily bread. He knows how to do it. Lord, I thank you for this time this morning. And my prayer is that you'll take these words and these truths right where you need them to go. Don't let the enemy steal them. Don't let him water them down or get them diluted. But Lord, help us to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. Enforce my authority. Enforce my authority. Enforce my authority. Enforce my authority. Realizing it's not our authority, but it is your authority. And you've called us in that place of surrender to you, in agreement with what you want, to on this earth be calling forth and enforcing that which is your heart. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know if anybody else got anything out of this, but the preacher was preaching to himself today. I believe it's truth. Let it in. Let it in. God bless you. Pastor Walker at alamocity.org. Give us a paragraph, just enough to know how to be praying for you and with you. And we'd love to get those. So many have come. So many prayers being offered. Bless you for that. Thank you for your prayerful and loving and even the financial support. God's doing what he's doing all to his glory. And we bless him for it. If we can be of encouragement, please let us know. Prayer partners, if you join me here at the front, and, and if we can pray with any of you who are here in this room, we want to do it.
with your mouth, confession is made. Jesus is Lord. The result is being saved, being forgiven. If you've never done that, do that right now. Lord, I confess you as my Savior, as my Lord. And the great change begins. The great change begins. Amen. Let's stand together, folks. And if you see somebody who just needs a word of encouragement around you, you speak that word of blessing to them. You know, you may not even know who it is, but the Lord does, and He's put something in your heart to speak. And you do that. The power, the power of His words through us. Amazing. God bless you. Thank you.